You may be seated and take a copy of the scriptures. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. And find verse 4. Luke chapter 11 verse 4 will be our text this morning. As we continue in the disciples' prayer, as the Lord teaches them to pray in verse 4, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Let's go to the Lord and ask His blessing. Father, we recognize the purity of Your Word, that there's no error therein, there is authority, because it's Your voice to the church. Therefore, to us here this day, this hour, we are grateful to have the book of God in the English language in our hands and for the opportunity and the freedom and the warmth of this place to gather, to attend to this book, to hear the voice of God in it, to be transformed to the image of Christ through it, and to be convicted of sin, but then convinced of the finished work of Christ. May all that happen to the glory of the triune God today and prepare us even now through the listening of the Word of God for the time of the Lord's table to follow. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. If you consider the most important relationships in your life, think about them right now, the most important relationships in your life. As you consider those relationships, what is the one essential? What is the one item that is necessary to keep these relationships healthy. Think of your friendships. Think of your marriage. Think of your church relationships. Think of your immediate family or your extended family, your, even your neighborhood, your, your co-workers. Well, let's think of some words. Love. Um, kindness, gentleness, self-control, peace. These are all good, but I would argue that the, the one reality, the, the one action, the one decision, decision, that is most essential in our relationships is this, and it's one word, forgiveness. I want to thank my friend and previous pastor of Grace Community Bible Church, Pastor Paul, for some of his help on this 
doctrine of forgiveness with some of the things I will say next. A good definition of forgiveness is a promise of pardon. A promise of pardon. When we forgive, we release their sins. We release from wrecking that relationship. When we forgive, we promise that we will not remember their sins anymore. So, when we forgive each other in these relationships that I'm speaking about, we're not going to then, after forgiveness, to use their sin as a club of judgmentalism, a club of condemnation, a club of of rejection or a club of retaliation. No, we're, we're not going to use their sin against them anymore. It's a promise. It's a promise. So practically, this means I'm not going to remind you of this sin two weeks later, two minutes later, two years later, two decades later. I'm not going to mention it to anyone else. I'm not going to allow my mind, although let's admit our mind goes back, but I'm not going to allow my mind to dwell on it. Well, I thought, Pastor Jeff, I'm not sure where you're going with this, but I thought we could only forgive only people who humble themselves before me and ask for it. Well, I do think that horizontal transaction of forgiveness is, make no mistake about it, the biblical norm. Okay? But we are called in the book of Luke even to love our enemies and to forgive our enemies. And so, in that situation, and frankly, in many times of our lives, the best way to look at forgiveness sometimes is an attitude of being willing to forgive. It's an attitude or a disposition that flows out of a disposition made new by the mercy and kindness and love of God, of a relationship with God being forgiven by Him, pours forth in an attitude, a disposition a letting go of bitterness that we could say, I think biblically just as well, is forgiveness. So, we may not be able to fully reconcile with everyone who sins against us. Certainly our enemies in the world, perhaps others. But what does this attitude moving forward look like then? Well, if we have forgiven them, there is no anger, resentment, ill will, bitterness, payback, and gossip. We desire their best. We truly do. We desire their best. And so biblical forgiveness, as one Bible teacher says, quotes, biblical forgiveness is giving up the right to revenge. It is releasing the offender from your grip and clearing the record in your heart not holding it against them, in quotes. And so we forgive in this way because we have been forgiven by God in Christ. And all of this begins to make sense of 
Ephesians 4.32, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Forgiveness is the most important word, item, concept, decision, I couldn't think of a good, so I'll use all of them, to maintain a horizontal relationship with each other. And listen, confession of sin and forgiveness granted by your Heavenly Father is the most important need you have in this life. Day-to-day relationship with God your Father through forgiveness is your greatest need. We need it. And so we ask for it. We seek for it. We knock for it. We pray for it. Luke chapter 11, verse 4, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Now we're in this prayer. Remember the first two prayer requests. There's five prayer requests. The what of prayer. The first two prayer requests were a prayer request for God's glory. Right? Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. And then the last three prayer requests are prayer requests for our good. And that's always the order of it, right? God's glory leads to our good. And there are three prayer requests for our good. The first we tackled three weeks ago, the last time I was in the pulpit. Thanks for those who filled the pulpit for me while I was gone. The last one was our first need, was for provision, right? Give us this day our daily bread. And now we then come to the second prayer request for our good, and that's a prayer for pardon, a prayer asking God for forgiveness. Now, I just want to pause for a minute. Christian, been there? Have you ever needed to ask your Heavenly Father for forgiveness? I can tell you then this is a legitimate request for sinners like us. In fact, as you reflect on it, we will never ever run out of prayer requests again after this message. Ever. You may not have the prayer sheet that Ursula printed out. You forgot it. So you just can't pray. No. Father, forgive us our trespasses. Until the day we die, we hardly even need a prayer sheet anymore. Father, forgive us. Now, let's just read it all together. Not all together out loud, but let's read verses 1 through 4. Maybe we should start doing that, but let's do 1 through 4. Follow along as I read in Luke chapter 11 to get the context again. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished One of his disciples said to him, and here is the whole reason that we have this teaching from our Lord. Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed 
be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And then he goes on to teach a parable which Lord willing will take in one message. We have a father, brothers and sisters, we have a father who will forgive. Let's go to him moment by moment for pardon. So we're going to unpack the first half of verse 4, this fourth petition of the disciples' prayer. We're going to unpack this petition for forgiveness, for pardon, with three questions. One, what are we forgiven from? What are we forgiven from? Or for you grammarians out there, from what are we forgiven? We've got to dangle a preposition from time to time to make the outline better. What are we forgiven from? Number two today, when are we forgiven? When are we forgiven? And number three, next week, and you're going to want to come back, why are we forgiven? Need a whole sermon for that one. Okay, for today, then first, what are we forgiven from? Let's look at verse 4 and be reminded. And I want you to look for two words. What are we... Let's just... It's obvious, but I want you to find them as I read. The two words for what we are forgiven from in the text. Okay? Verse 4, And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Do you see the two words? Number one, Sins, number two, debt. Very good. That is the what. Now, the first then, sins. This is a very common, the most common word in the Scriptures for sins. This word translated, you guessed it, sins. Now, my dad and my father-in-law who were all struggling not to call Pastor Don. So I'll try it. Don, my father-in-law, it's hard. And my dad are both into bow hunting. Congratulations on the deer. My dad also got one. My dad is getting old. Sorry, Dad, if you're listening. He uses a crossbow. It's so accurate, it's almost cheating. <laughs> My dad uses that crossbow. He's not able to pull back uh, anymore at his age, but he's able to hit a target because of that crossbow about five inch, with a five-inch accuracy from about 40, 35, 40 yards, which is pretty deadly when it comes to deer hunting. He'll be able with that crossbow to hit the mark, bullseye. When we sin, according to this word, and here's what this word means, it means to miss the mark. And to miss the bullseye. 
to fall short, because that's what gravity does, right? You fall short, it goes down. You're usually low or behind. We miss the mark God has called us to. What is the bullseye to which God has called us? Perfect obedience to His law. How are you doing? Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and defining this word really, probably the best in all the Scriptures, fallen short of what? We've said so much we've forgotten what it means. Fallen short of, I mean, how glorious is God and His nature and His perfections and His righteousness and His plan, His promise plan and His sovereignty and everything that He does. Perfections. And you've fallen short of the glory of God. You think? And yet we're not convinced. There must be something different. I must be reading that wrong. What kind of a God has that kind of a bullseye? It's impossible. We have to do exactly what He tells us to do and not leave anything undone. And guess what? We have to think about those things rightly and feel those things rightly all along. We need to live in perfect consistency with the glory of God. Even with the extra hour of sleep, I'm in trouble today. Right? Today, I've fallen short of the glory of God. And so have you. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 48, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Don't fall short of the perfect obedience, the glory of God. And the bottom line is, it's not for nothing just to make us feel bad that He says this. It's true. You can't be in the face-to-face, unleashed, unmitigated walk with Him in the garden type of fellowship in the new heavens and the new earth from age upon age for all eternity. You can't be in His presence without this perfection. It's not just meanness, it's kindness that He tells us this. So, you can't go to heaven without being perfect is what I'm saying. And if we admit it, We would say we have not kept the law of God. The Ten Commandments. We cuss, we swear, even taking the Lord's name in vain. We lie, we covet like crazy. That's the one that got Paul all riled up. The Apostle. He knew it was in a heart thing. We feel this. We feel that we've fallen short. Some of us don't feel guilty about it at all because we're entertaining ourselves to death and not thinking about it. Having put God on the shelf. But in our quietest moments, when we come to that bottom of the barrel and we quickly medicate it away or drink it away or whatever we have to do, we feel it. We feel that we're in trouble. We do. We feel it. We feel we need something. We feel this guilt. We feel this burden. We feel this emptiness, this hopelessness. We 
feel this big need and we need God's help. And if you have come to Christ for forgiveness, I can tell you, you've had a taste of this helplessness at some point. You may not be able to articulate it at age five, but you five-year-olds who come to Jesus, you know that you need Jesus, that you can't do it yourself. It's a real thing. And so the sinner goes to God for forgiveness. God. Not Father at that point. God. Judge. Have mercy on me. The sinner. Now, the other word is a word, that's the word of sinner. I've got to pick up the pace. The other word is a word that speaks of debts. It is what you think it is. It is Looking at Romans 4, this unique word, it is a financial term, which we can understand, I think, a lot more the last couple of years with inflation. We, all, we know all about thinking about money and our budgets. And We used to have checkbooks. Look up here, checkbooks, remember, where you got zero balance, and then you go in the hole, right, and you're in debt, negative, and we all wish we had all the money in the world, right? Positive, up, infinity. God is saying you need all the money in the world, that is righteousness in the world, in your checkbook to stand before God. And instead, what we've got is a checkbook that is like sin after sin after things done, undone, thought, not thought. We're burying ourselves, and I would dare say, if we really knew how bad we were, an almost an eternal debt of sin. And yet, here we are down here, billions in the hole, trying to do a couple good things to get up here. It's foolishness. It's impossible. It's insane. It's almost... It's even more insane than trying to balance the U.S. budget. Even more. And so I think by just looking at these two words, we have missed the mark of His perfect holiness. And so we deserve God's wrath and condemnation. His judgment for the breaking of His good law. And... The fact that we owe a debt that is so infinitively, it, it just makes us feel completely hopeless. We can't jump. A, it's like we're trying to use the crossbow of our righteousness to hit a shot at 4,000 yards. We think we could do it. We think we can pay God back. It's impossible. It ought to make us broken, especially when we think that at if we don't hit that mark, if we don't pay him back, there's the, the wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. That is separation from God. And if you, you know, in the, in the lake of fire, if you listen to the, how Jesus writes, you know, complete black darkness and aloneness forever. The place called hell. It's actually a biblical word, Gehenna. We like to hear it on the streets, but it's real. In the darkness, there's weeping, and there's gnashing of teeth. I'm telling you, the last one I liked, the last sermon. I mean, I need groceries, but it's not our biggest need. Not even close. Give us this day our daily bread. 
I'm telling you, for an individual person standing before God on that day, your greatest need is for forgiveness, that your sins would be removed, that your debt would be paid in full. And you can't do it, and so you are in need of God's help. You are in need of grace. You are in need of divine favor. You are in need of but God, God to act. That is the essence of prayer. We only pray... Because we're so helpless and dependent on God for this gift. Does that make sense? It's going to have to flow from God. But, here's the good news, sinners. We've all sinned, but today can be the day of your salvation. Are you ready? Before we get into what this passage means, are you ready to make this passage for you? This is the time. I dare you to be stubborn. I Right now, I tell you, by the authority of Christ, if you will turn from it and trust in Christ right now, your sins will be gone. Forever. And you'll have peace and gladness and joy. And in His presence, Psalm 16, is fullness of joy. I'm telling you, I don't know why you do it. I know why theologically you won't do it, but I'm putting that aside. I really don't know why. You wouldn't come to Him and find life. In Jesus today. So we can be forgiven. And I would say for believers, do you remember that day? I was 27. Do you remember that day or that time when you received that? And it's like that burden rolled off your back and you were free. Praise God for that day. It's all of His grace. Turn to Luke chapter 18 and let me just show you a prayer for this forgiveness. In Luke chapter 18, we'll get to preach this passage here in the future soon. Luke chapter 18, the the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Verse 9 says, And he told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was thus praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Oh, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Swindlers and unjust and like adulterers, or even like that tax collector over there. I, 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 I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the sinful tax collector whose eyes were open to his sin, robbing the people blind, traitor to the nation tax collector, He was in the temple because he knew that was the place of sacrifice. He knew he needed to go to God. He didn't know what else to do. So he stood some distance away and was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven but was beating his breast and he was saying, God, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Question number two, when are we forgiven? He didn't go home, work a Bible study out, live, a per- live 30 years of doing stuff to earn fatherhood from God, to earn forgiveness from God. Jesus Himself says in that passage, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. That is, he was justified, then got home justified, righteous in Christ, forgiven by Christ rather than the other. Because it takes humility to come to you saying, I can't hit the mark. I, I, I can't pay God back. 
For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Question number two, when are we forgiven? Dear Christian, listen to me. You are forgiven the penalty of your sin. Your debt was paid, all of it. The moment that you from the heart confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, turning from your sins, you said, I don't want them. I'm turning from my self-righteousness. I need Jesus. Naked and empty and hopeless, you turn to Him for life. That moment, you went back to your house, however far it was from wherever you got saved, justified, freely, forever. Because you received the righteousness of another, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, And all of your negative debt was put upon Jesus upon the cross. It's wiped out. But you need to be perfect. He took your sin. He gave you His robes of righteousness. And you are forgiven. You stand righteous in Christ right now. That's the win. I want you to see this in the Old Testament. Turn to Micah chapter 7. I should have put page numbers. I didn't do that. I apologize. Micah chapter 7, verse 18. I need to read quickly. Turn if you can quickly. If not, just listen. Micah chapter 7, verse 18. Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. And you will give truth to Jacob, an unchanging love to Abraham, which you swore to our forefathers from on old. Or, what Jeremy read, turn back to Psalm 103. Let's see it from that place. Psalm 103. I'd like to hear pages flipping, so let's try it. Psalm 103, verse 12. Psalm 103, verse 12. Let's start in verse 11. Let's start in verse 10. Where do you start? He has not dealt with us according to our sins. Praise God. Nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His loving kindness towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. Just as the Father has compassion on His children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. For He knows Himself. For He Himself knows our frame and is mindful that we are but dust. And so we then come to the New Testament. Turn to Colossians as Paul unpacks the doctrine of forgiveness, the seed planted in the gospel record, secured in the death and resurrection of Christ, and explained in the epistles. And I think one of the key passages in the explanation of forgiveness is found in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13. Colossians chapter 2 verse 13, Paul writes, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us some 
of our transgressions. Or, or the past ones, but the present ones and the future ones, you better... All our transgressions. How do you do that? Having canceled out the certificate of what? Debt. Now, it's not a checkbook illustration, but let's say you have a scroll of all of the stuff you owe. And it's just like super long. A lot of credit. Boom, boom, boom. You just unroll it, unroll it, unroll it. That's all of your sins. They're all recorded on the certificate of debt. Isn't that a lovely thought? Pretty long, isn't it? There it is. The I owe you to God list. What does he do with that? He cancels out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us which was hostile to us. That means... That that certificate of debt is like a whiteboard. He, that word is for wiping it out. So he, he erases our debt off that whiteboard. But that's not enough. He takes that whiteboard after it's erased because I don't want a little bit left or a shadow or some ultraviolet light shining on it that is going to bring it back. He nails that to the cross and he obliterates the slate on which it was written. Canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of the degrees against us which was hostile to us and He has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross. Make no mistake about it, believer. Your position right now is 100% forgiven in Jesus Christ. The judge of all the earth has taken His gavel and rendered because of your advocate, our Lord Jesus Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection a verdict of eternally not guilty. Righteous forgiven. And this occurred the moment you placed your faith in Him. Justified freely forever. Back to our home justified. And that, my friends, if we would think about it, is really good news. It makes sense of all of our other problems. But, it brings up a very big question of this passage. Of our text. Go back to it now. Having established this, Let's go back to our passage in Luke chapter 11. It brings up a very big question because this is not a prayer of pagans. Um, this is not a, a prayer for anybody. This is the Lord's Prayer, maybe better the disciples' prayer. This is a prayer, are you ready? For believers. And believers are still praying for forgiveness. Now, if you're thinking at all, you would ask this question. Why would we continue to pray for forgiveness if we're already forgiven the moment we believed? And I think that's a good question. Because our text does make it clear that believers ask for forgiveness when they commit actual personal acts of sin, either by commission or you commit them or you, don't, you omit doing stuff, your thought life, your attitudes. Boy, we ask for forgiveness daily, minute by minute as we walk following Jesus. And when we ask for forgiveness, we are granted cleansing. 
We're granted pardon. So, in a sense, it's a funny question. I mean, these theologians and all of us, they have to answer this question today. It's in a sense funny, isn't it? I should be able to say, not really, don't be offended, but I should be able to say, why do we continue to ask for forgiveness? We should be able to say, well, because I still sin. And that's part of the answer. But I, but I get where you're coming from, and the text itself drives us to an answer. So let's think about this. Why is this? Well, this brings us to the idea of 1 John 1, 9, right? That's what you're thinking, isn't it? For, so write that reference down, 1 John 1, 9. You, you know this written to believers. If, you, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, we still sin, and Christ has paid the penalty of our sin. Now, I'm going to get all theological, and then, then I'll explain what I mean by that. So, for you theologians out there who got this pat answer figured out, I'll give you your pat answer. But for the rest of us, we're going to explain it. Just kidding. We are called to be in practice who we already are in position. We have been saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. And we're just we're working out our salvation. And so we continue to confess because the last time I checked, I'm not glorified. Next verse. But that doesn't satisfy us. How does this work? What does this mean? That's the theological answer. And I think, I think we're going to build on that. Because Jesus died for our sins, judicially um, bore the judgment, the penalty of the sins, all those sins, past, present, and future, are paid for in position. And as we walk out in practice, we're living that out. Since God is faithful and is just, and, he, and, and Jesus has already paid it all, we have an advocate before the Father who's alive, right? We can, we can then walk forward in our, in our sins and ask for forgiveness and cleansing from God. But you say, I, you didn't ask the question, you haven't answered the question. If we're forgiven of all our sins, what am I asking for it for? Good question. Let's get to it. Please turn to John chapter 13, which I think begins to unpack this for us. This is where we're going. Now put on your thinking caps. John chapter 13, I want you to find verse 3. Again, we're in the upper room here, and Jesus is about to wash the disciples' feet. Verse 3, John chapter 13, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, and that He had come forth from God, and was going back to God, got up from supper, and laid aside His garments, and taking a towel, He girded Himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, verse 6, I'm on verse 6, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter which I, I take to say a lot of things, but one of them is to unpack the idea of 
of sanctification and cleansing and all of that. You don't got, look, I'm going to spend the Spirit and unpack this for you. Just let me do it. Peter doesn't leave it there. Peter never leaves it there. Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. He just said, just look, let me. Jesus answered him, okay, let me give you a little something. If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And then, okay, you want to go there? Jesus said to him, he who has bathed, perfect tense, past with present ramifications, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you, Peter, this is so encouraging, Peter, you are clean. You are clean. Let me wash your feet. But not all of you, not Judas, as we'll find out in the second half of the chapter. Not all of you are clean. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For that reason, he said, not all of you are clean. And so we are clean. We have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. That's our position in the cross. Jesus paid it all. We have already been cleansed. We have been plunged in the finished work of Christ. But we need, as we walk with Jesus, to have our feet cleansed from the defilement of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And our contact with these things. This ongoing, continual cleaning. As we follow Jesus in relationship with our Father, by the power of the Spirit, we need ongoing cleansing. We need our feet cleaned. But you're already clean. Now, if it is the fact that I'm just, you got, Jesus did the first half, paid my past sins, I got to take care of present and future. I don't know about you, but I am done with Christianity. I know it's a bold statement. I'm being bold here. I cannot possibly think of everything. I cannot possibly know what I've committed or omitted or my attitudes. Half the time, my, it's like when, it's a short list of when I don't sin. I can't possibly do this. And you can't either. So we're not going to remember every sin that happens and be able to confess it. Sometimes we omit something, we're not aware of it. It's a hidden sin, it's a failure before God. But God's not calling us to, to remember every sin and, and, and work out this that somehow in the end we'll have future justification and future gavel and find ourselves righteous with God in the end. That's, that is the works religion of every ism in the world but biblical Christianity. You pick it. He's not calling us to that. Now here's, so you still haven't answered the question, Pastor Jeff. Yep. And here's the answer. Our judge, our judge has already slammed the gavel down and has been satisfied. We have been declared not guilty in, 
And you know what? I don't know about you, but I ain't setting foot in that courtroom again. Ever. Ever. It's finished. I don't look at him as my judge except for satisfied in Christ. I look at him. How's, who are we addressing this prayer to? Father. I look at him. We look at him as father. We've been adopted by our father. I'm not going back to the judge. That's been settled. But I have a relationship with my father. I walk with him. I'm in his house. There's joy in his presence. I long to please him. I long to be near him. I need forgiveness from my father. I don't think this text is talking about judicial forgiveness and somehow praying for forgiveness over and over again, hoping to do it good enough so that God will hopefully justify me in the end when I die. Some sort of weird confession to earn future justification before the judge of the universe who's going like this, if I work hard enough. A whole system that's enslaved over a billion people holds that view. Hopefully we'll finally be accepted by God and welcomed by God. If you're in Islam, you go on jihad because that's the only way you can know for sure. Otherwise you can't know. And when you can't know, it drives you crazy. It drives you to kill. I think this is a betrayal of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think this is a betrayal of grace. Let's make no mistake, we're talking with our Father and we still sin. That means there's got to be, there's a relationship with our Father. There's a Father and Son forgiveness that takes place moment by moment in our life. Now listen to this. This moment by moment relational fellowship with our Father is our greatest need. It's our greatest desire. This is what we're missing. We fall into the ditches. Oh good, Uh, I can have my cake and eat it too. Jim's going to preach on that. No, you can't continue in sin that grace may abound. It's a heresy. And you can't say I'm going to work, work, work to try to be welcomed by God. It's a heretical gospel. No, it's just pardon from our Father. Our Father. Kevin DeYoung is right when he says, quotes, If you think of God only as judge, then you are either innocent or guilty. You are justified or not justified. You don't think in terms of pleasing or displeasing God. You think only in terms of legal declaration of righteous or not righteous. As important as it is to recognize that God is judge, If that's the only way you relate to him, your Christianity will become stilted and stale, end quote. So at the end of the day, this is a relational forgiveness with our God, our Father, just like your forgiveness, so also we... You see, that's one connection with the second half of the verse. This is all relational with Father.
We're walking with God. It means if you're a good father, now dads, if you're a good father, you love your children with an everlasting love. Correct? If not, come talk to me. I mean it. I know some that don't. You can be either pleased or displeased with your kids at any given moment. Right? I mean, if our kids walk away from us, walk away from Christ, walk away, we still love them. There's a distance, there's separation, there's lack of fellowship. It's sad, and frankly, it's difficult. And that can happen with our relationship with God. And if you love your father, if you love your father and you sin against him, you just want to say you're sorry. You want to be back in fellowship. You want that presence and that great joy. But when my kids sin against me, they don't have to worry about getting kicked out of the family or have to say sorry enough times to get back in the family or to eventually actually get adopted if I take the kids in. If you do enough good when you're, 20, when you're 35, I'll adopt you. Oh, that's really nice. No. He adopts us, makes us family through forgiveness, and then we walk in relationship with Him. It's family first by faith alone, and then from family flows the forgiveness of Luke chapter 11. This is something here in this church as brothers and sisters. It does. As family, as brothers and sisters, this says something of our relationships. I began with that. This horizontal forgiveness. There is therefore, Paul writes, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I'll listen, write this down. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But, I still sin. Do I fear a lack of connection with my God? Do I feel the burden of a guilty conscience before my God? Do I, do I have a healthy respect for my Father and chastisement from my Father? Yeah, amen, no condemnation. Let's sin away. Really? With that relationship of love that you have? What about your conscience? What about the consequences? And the chastisement of a loving father. What about distance from God? Well, what about displeasing Him? Dragging His name through the mud? What about grieving? Grieving the Holy Spirit of God? and Not experiencing the, his, his power, the closeness, the fellowship of His sufferings. What about your prayers bouncing off your, your, the ceiling because you won't live with your wife in an understanding way? Doesn't it matter to you? Isn't this enough? Why do we have to make it all about condemnation? This is our greatest need for believers. This is our worst nightmare. This is what will keep believers up at night more than anything else. not being in fellowship with Him, not being pleasing to our Father. When we say, forgive us our sins, as DeYoung said well, quotes, this is not the cry of a frightened litigant, but of a loving child, In quotes. What we are forgiven from, sin, missing the mark, debts which we owe to God. And secondly, when are we forgiven? Well, we're forgiven judicially, 
the moment we believe, but we're forgiven. That's the whole body cleansing of John chapter 13. But, we're, but our feet get dirty, and we still sin, and we're forgiven day by day relationally. Relationally with our Father as we walk with Jesus seated at the table of our Father by the power of the Spirit day by day. Yes, how far are our sins, all of them removed, as far as the east is from the west. Okay, he's meant to say your sins are fleeing and still running from you. They're gone. So why do we still ask for forgiveness? Because we speak to God not as judge in this passage, but as Father. Relationally. A few months ago, I tried... A few years ago, and I, I tried it for one day. Again, I don't think my wife knows this. I tried intermittent fasting one day. And by 1 p.m., I was so grumpy and I was so hungry. And it reminds me of, Father, give us this day, what? Our daily bread. We have to eat or we're hungry. We feel it physically. There's an ongoing need. There's pain. Let me just describe, try to describe it. Pain, aching, longing, gnawing, rumbling, contractions, spasm, feeling of emptiness. That's our physical need. What about our spiritual need? And the symptoms of it. When we need pardon, a son or daughter of the Father, when you sin, the fellowship is broken, the heavy hand of the Lord is upon you. Distance. Prayers bouncing up the ceiling, emptiness, stagnancy, grieving the spirit, hunger pains for fellowship with God, eat food for hunger pains, seek forgiveness for the pain of broken fellowship with God, ask, confess, and admit, ask God to forgive you, He will, He's not stingy, He's ready, He's perfect, He's not going like this, this is what He's best at. And He will bring you back like the prodigal's father of old into His arms and throw you a party with joy and presence and contentment and satisfaction. The path of growth. The path of holiness. Reconnected. The path of wisdom. The path of usefulness. The path of counsel. The path of holiness. In His presence is fullness of joy. Psalm 16, at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. If you refuse to ask for forgiveness daily, instead of counsel, you'll get silence. Instead of presence, you'll feel distance. Instead of settled, you'll be shaken. Instead of gladness, you'll be concerned. Instead of rejoicing, you're going to be grumbling your way home. And so we pray, and forgive us our sins. Father, not Judge Clarence Brown, Father, forgive us our sins. But you're saying, I know what we're forgiven from, trespasses and debts. I know when, the first moment, and with our judge, and ongoing 
relation with our Father. But why are we forgiven? Why the second half of this verse? It's a great question. I need a whole sermon for it. Come back next week. Let's pray. And if I could have the men and musicians come up for the Lord's table as I begin to pray, if you could come up and help me get ready for that. Let's then turn our eyes to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this time today. We really are, for every aspect of it, those wonderful songs that we sung together, praying as a church together. We know that you're here. We know that you hear our, our prayers for your good Father. And when we ask for an egg, you don't give us a scorpion. We're so grateful for who you are, your character, that we'll get to unpack in weeks to come in this passage. We're thankful for this ordinance, this ongoing ordinance of the family meal of the Lord's table where we can reflect, remember, and even repent that we can really fellowship with the living Christ through the Spirit. So would you bless this time in every possible way. Make it to be special and not ritual, but out of relationship right now. We ask it in Jesus' name.